Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. It's great to see all of you today. I have a message for you today that I'm excited about sharing. I I know it encouraged the first service and people went away feeling um, kind of challenged and encouraged at the same time. I'm doing a series here called Supernatural. And today's message, kind of like last week, is very simple. It's that Jesus works through you to fulfill His mission. Jesus works through you to fulfill His mission. And so um, I'm going to start out with Mark chapter 16, verse 20. This is kind of a a key verse uh, for what I want to go through right now. I want you to look at this with me. And notice what it says. It says, And the disciples went everywhere and preached And the Lord worked through them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. Let's look at that again. I mean, this is profound. The disciples, and by the way, a disciple is a student, a learner, an apprentice. And so, if you're here today and you have begun to follow Jesus, you call Jesus Savior and Lord, then you are a disciple. Now, some people are good disciples, meaning they take it seriously, and some people are not so good disciples. But regardless of what kind of a disciple you are, you are a disciple. And so the disciples went everywhere, and they preached, and the Lord worked through them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. So a little bit of background, a little bit of context. This is the last verse of Mark's gospel. Jesus has come. He's lived his life. He's shown the perfect pattern of the ultimate man, the God-man, God in the flesh. He's shown what that looks like. He's shown us what the Father is like, but he's also shown us what a perfect man is like. He's come and he's lived a sinless life, he's healed the sick, he's preached profound messages, he's redefined for us so many things, and then he's, you know, walked on water, raised dead people, healed lepers and sick people, not leopards, but lepers, right? He's restored people, he's multiplied loaves and fish and fed thousands, and for it, we kill him, human beings, the power of the state of Rome, the religious community, and the average Joe. We were all a part of putting him on the cross. Our sin put him there. We crucified him. And then he was buried in a borrowed tomb. And then he rose again from the dead. And after he rose again from the dead, he told his followers, he kept appearing to them over 40 days, and he told them, I want you to wait, and I'm going to send the same power to you that I have. The power that raised me from the dead is going to become power for your life. And I want you to go out and do what I've been doing. I want you to go into the world. I want you to proclaim that God's rule has come to earth through me. I want you to tell people that I've died for them and I've atoned for their sins. I want you to let them know that I'm risen and I'm alive. And just so you know, I'm going to back you. I'm going to give you the very spirit that was in me. And that spirit is going to do the same works through you that it did through me. 
Okay, so over 40 days, he appears to them, and then he tells them to go and wait. And they went, and they waited, and they received the power of the Holy Spirit. And this verse is the result of that. And they went out everywhere, and they proclaimed, they preached. The Lord worked through them, and he confirmed what they said with many, by many miraculous signs. So we're going to see through the Scriptures today that God has a plan. He has a mission And that that plan and that mission didn't end when Jesus rose from the dead. It continued. And it's to continue through us. 2,000 years plus after he rose from the dead, Jesus is still working on planet earth. And he's working on planet earth through normal people like you and me. Not just elite Christians. Not just the super spirituals. Not the superstars. But normal, everyday people like you and me are to be recipients of his power and his mission and his plan and then go out and do what he did. He's chosen us to receive the power we need to continue the mission of seeking and saving the lost of humanity. This mission is supernatural. This plan is supernatural. The people who continue this mission and this plan must also be supernatural. If you've trusted Jesus, you can be supernatural. You might not believe it, but it's true. Right? Many of us don't see the supernatural God at work around us because we're so distracted and so used to only believing what our eyes and the internet tell us. So today, I want to ask God to open our eyes to His supernatural presence and give us the ability to recognize what He's doing on the earth and give us the ability to hear Him saying, come and partner with me and let's touch planet earth. Can I pray that for you? Let's pray together. Come on. Father, we thank you for your presence in this room. We thank you for the way we've already encountered you and the worship that we've the songs we've sung to you and the exhortations we've heard. And Lord, we know that you're here. We know that you're here and we ask you to make yourself real and make yourself known. Lord, I pray even to the skeptic in this room that you'd begin to break into their life and shine your light upon their heart and their mind. Lord, I pray for the power of your spirit to speak. I ask you to help me to speak clearly to not misrepresent you or the text of Scripture, but to represent you well. Be with my mouth and mind. Be with our ears and our feet. Help us to hear, to apply, and then to walk out of this room and live out what we hear. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Kevin Ashton's book, How to Fly a Horse, that's a great title, isn't it? He writes, as one researcher has described it, Our brain blinds our minds to the unusual. For instance, in one one study, reachers put a clown on a unicycle and he would ride into the path of pedestrians as they walked. The researchers asked people who walked past the clown if they'd noticed anything unusual. Everybody saw him unless they had been on their cell phones. Three out of every four people who had been using their phone did not see the clown. They looked back in astonishment, unable to believe that they'd missed him. They'd looked straight at him in some cases, but had not registered his presence. The unicycling clown crossed their paths, but not their minds. Many of us are like this with God. 
We can't see Him, we can't recognize His works, and we especially can't believe that He would work through us because we are either so distracted by what's going on around us in our culture and by all the stimuli, all the things that are coming at us constantly, and we've become so addicted to our devices, so addicted to the the drama of the time that we live that we miss the activity of God all around us. And then secondly, many of us in this room We believe God's miraculous. We maybe even experienced His power at some time in our life. But we believe that kind of a thing is for other people, special ones, the super spiritual. And we don't recognize that when the Bible began to define who God would work through, He told us through the prophet Joel, and then again in the book of Acts, that in the last days, He would pour out His Spirit on all people. And sons and daughters, that means men and women, young and old, men servants, maid servants, would have the Holy Spirit poured out on them, and that they would go forth and they would speak for God, and they would move in God's presence and God's power. That was the promise. God is not a respecter of persons in that way. He doesn't say, you know, I'm going to use Tamara because she's super spiritual, but I'm not going to use Doug because he's not right? He, he found people that were normal people. In fact, if you look at the disciples that Jesus chose to come along with him, the thing that strikes you about them is that they were very ordinary. I mean, these were fishermen. These were normal people. These were laborers who worked within the society. They weren't the, in fact, he didn't go picking rabbis. He didn't go picking the priesthood. He focused his attention on normal people. He wanted people to understand that I have changed something here. I'm going to make anybody and everybody one of my priests, as it were, and an instrument of my life and my power if they will but believe. And so what happens to us many times is we talk ourselves out of God using us Because we compare ourselves or we look at our life, we know our own sin, we know our own failures, and we think God can use them, but He can't use me. And part of the problem with that kind of thinking is the fact that we look at our lives and all that's wrong with us and all the places we fall short, and we look at somebody else and we don't really know their life, but we only see what we can see, right? What's on the outside. And based upon that, we judge them worthy and ourselves unworthy. And I'm telling you, God wants us to say, here I am, warts and all, all my messes, all my stuff, use me, have your way with my life. Amen? I'm glad two of you believe me. So I'm going to take you on a journey, and we're going we're gonna to go through several texts in the New Testament. There's a lot of scripture today because I, I want you to see this, but I'm going to establish what I've been saying to you in teaching. We're going to have a little Bible study. And so we're going to start with Jesus, and we're going to end with us being used like Jesus, God working through us. Okay, so the first thing is, is, and all of us would believe this, the Father, Father God sent Jesus to seek and save lost humanity. Look with me at Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man that's Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. 
So I want to look at three words, seek, save, lost. Let's look at those three words. The first word, seek, means to seek out an object to find it. Duh, right? Obvious. To strongly desire something so much that you'll do whatever you need to do to acquire it. So when the Bible says that the Father sent the Son, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, we know that in the heart of the Father, in the heart of the Son, in the heart of the Holy Spirit was this love for human beings. And this love was so powerful that God was willing to step out of the glory of heaven and his divinity and become human and go through all the suffering that humans go through and the rejection that we go through and bad trials and the whole nine yards ultimately to be crucified and to die and to go through death, even to taste death, that he might rise again to reconcile humanity back to him. God so loved, he sought us out to acquire us with his own life, his own blood. And then there's that word save. And I I think it's really important for us to talk about this word for a minute because I hear people use it all the time and and I'm like, I don't think we know, I don't think you know what that word means. (laughs) You know, I don't don't think we really get it. Save, it's it's a Greek word, sozo, and it means to rescue from danger. Listen to how comprehensive this word is. To rescue from danger, to make whole, to restore to health, to heal from disease, and to save from evil. See, salvation is not, as some teach it, merely the idea that we have to rescue people from hell and from sin. And so people will say, are you saved? Are you saved? And immediately we're like, you know, have you got your fire insurance? Have you got your ticket to heaven? That's what we think. When we talk about saved and salvation, most of us have embraced a reductionist gospel. That means we've reduced this gospel down to just merely a transaction where if I trust in Jesus, I go to heaven when I die. So the whole gospel becomes about what happens to you when you die, not how you can live now. But when the Bible defines salvation, it uses a word that's so broad and so comprehensive that it takes in every idea, like literally, if you help a person who needs food to eat, if you clothe a naked person, if you give a drink of cold water in his name to someone who needs water, you are engaged in the work of saving. That begins to change everything. Yes, it includes rescue from sin and death and hell, but it's so much more. So when we, know, when we see that Jesus came to seek and save the lost, he didn't just come so he could get people out of hell and into heaven. He came to rescue people. And we see that demonstrated. Look at his life. What does he do? He goes out and he heals. He feeds. He cares for. He meets practical needs. Gee, listen, 
We have made the gospel so quote-unquote spiritual, it's only about our spiritual well-being that we miss the point that when Jesus walked the earth, he made the gospel about the whole human, spirit, soul, body, needs, material needs. Jesus came to show us that God's heart was to take the spiritual life of heaven, to merge it and marry it with the material life of earth, and for the two realms to come together, this is known as incarnation, the infleshing of, of God. So that's what he's doing in our lives. So what does that mean? God cares about your bills. He cares about your health. He cares about your relationships. He cares about your work. He cares about all of it. He's not just a God that cares about your spiritual state and heaven and hell. He cares about every minute circumstance of your life. All the stuff you think isn't spiritual. Whoa. Really? Yeah, everything. By the way, the beautiful thing about God is when He moves into your life, because He does, He moves in, He comes to indwell, right? Takes up residence in your body. That's what the Spirit teaches. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. How many of you know that's true? Okay, so God comes to take up residence in you. When He comes to take up residence in you, He's doing a full renovation project. And there isn't a single room in your house that's off limits. That means that those closets that you hide stuff in, you know, I can just see Jesus coming to us right now. Can't you? He knocks on the door. Hi, I'm here. You invited me in. Oh, wait, I'm not here as a guest. I'm taking over. And I love you. And you're going to love. When we get done, let me just present you with a vision. When we get done, this house is going to be a mansion. And it's going to be beautiful. All the best fixtures, the best plumbing, all of it. But for us to get there, it's going to hurt. Well, Jesus, I just want you to notice how beautiful the living room is. I vacuumed all the carpets. Everything's been dusted. And Jesus just walks past all that, man, and he goes and finds your bathroom. He goes to that closet where you threw, just before he came, you threw all your stuff in there. No, Jesus, not the closet. Not the bathroom, not the bedroom, not the bed, all of it. He comes to renovate, to change. That's what he's coming to do, to save, to restore us. See, he doesn't just want to restore you and me. He wants to restore creation. You see, when he created us, he made us stewards over the earth. He called this co-regent of a man and a woman the full embodiment of his image, the imago Dei, the image bearers of God, male and female created he them, and then he gave them authority, and he gave them the earth, and he said, manage it, care for it, grow it, grow your garden, make it beautiful. And when we fell into sin, we dragged down all creation with us. So when he came to redeem, first he lifts us up. He redeems us, he restores us, he heals us. But his ultimate goal is to lift all creation with us. In the end, heaven and earth will marry. Just like God incarnated himself, took on flesh, material world, and became a man, so at the very end, heaven, the new Jerusalem, will come to the earth, and all the earth will be full of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Every molecule of creation will be renewed and restored, and everything will be full of God, and everything will be as he originally designed it to be. 
So listen, salvation isn't just about you getting to heaven. It's about God changing all of creation. And it starts with you and me. Some of you are like, now I'm all messed up. What the heck? And he came to do what? To seek and to save the lost. This word literally means those perishing and moving toward destruction. Those who are in ruin. Again, think of a house, ruins. So he comes, some of us, and I was there, some of our lives don't look, don't look like a nice, decent house on the outside. Some of us, our houses are literally in ruins. They've been burned and destroyed by sinful choices, by lives that have just brought destruction everywhere. Or we've had our houses been attacked by enemies and it's been destroyed and it's been brought down and it's laying there in ruins. And he comes to us and he says, I can work with this. And you're like, What? Yeah, yeah, I can work with this. I can work with your ruins. I'm going to make mansions out of ruins. Some of you right now, you're looking at your ruins and you're like, that's beyond redemption. I'm telling you, Jesus is going to make mansions out of your ruins. Amen. Bless you. (laughs) So then we see that the Father sent Jesus to teach and preach good news and to heal, deliver, and do miracles to accomplish that saving work. Look at the mission of Jesus in Matthew 9, 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages. So I like that. He went to big places with lots of population, and he went to villages, little places. So Jesus cares about cities and towns. He cares about it all. And he taught in their synagogues and, procla- and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. So we see him doing what he came to do. Acts ten thirty eight. look at this. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So we see that Jesus came to heal diseases, afflictions, to preach the kingdom, the rule of God, to teach people, and he did good and he healed, and he also dealt with the evil force the evil presence that is active in our world. And listen, devils and demons aren't just for the superstitious. Devils and demons are real. There is a presence at work in our world. There is an evil at work in our world that's out to steal, kill, and to destroy. To destroy your life, to destroy your neighbor's life. It doesn't, listen, it doesn't matter whether you believe all that hocus pocus or not. It's happening. Right? You think it's hocus pocus, it's silly, I don't know if I buy into all that stuff, that's, that's just superstition. I have to tell you, I have personally <laughs> had a number of encounters with demons, and they're very real and very destructive. And Jesus came to set captives free and to heal people, right? And then He sent Him to die and rise again to save us, and we know that message, right? Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 24, look at this with me if you would. People of Israel, Listen. I would say, church, listen, God publicly endorsed Jesus of Nazareth by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through Him, as we well know, as you well know. But God knew what would happen, and His prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed Him to a cross and killed Him. But God released Him from the horrors of death and raised Him back to life, for death could not keep Him in its grip. 
So the plan of the Father from the beginning was to send His Son. He knew Jesus would be betrayed. He knew Jesus would go through, again, a sham trial. He knew that Jesus would be crucified. He would be beaten. He knew His beard would be plucked and He'd be spat upon. He knew He would suffer. He knew He would go through all that and He would be crucified. And that was actually the prearranged plan of God to redeem us and to atone for our sin. And then He raised Him from the dead. Raised him back from life, for death could not keep him in its grip. Death didn't have a right to him. He was sinless. The wages of sin is death. Jesus was sinless. Therefore, death had no legal right to hold him, and he beat death. Amen? So then, Jesus has died. He's risen. Now he says, okay, you go do what I've been doing. And that's what we're going to look at now. The Father and Jesus send us the Holy Spirit to empower us. Look at the promise of the Holy Spirit and the power for us. Luke 24, 49, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. How many of you want to be clothed with power? Think about that, clothed with power. I want some of that in my life, right? Clothed with power from on high. Look at, we we see it continue, the the power to continue Jesus' mission in in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So the power of the Holy Spirit was given to us to continue the mission of Jesus and witness to the reality of His life, death, and resurrection. He gives us His life and power to live as He did with the same power. He gave them power to be witnesses. I shared this in the first service. What's a witness? It's the Greek word martus. It's where we get the word martyr. So he gave them power to be martyrs. But martyrdom wasn't just dying. To be a martus, to be a witness, was not just to see something. Like a normal witness would say, I saw that guy do this, and this is what... This is what happened because of it. These are the results because of what he did. That's what we would call a witness. But the Greek understanding of the word witness is not only to see it, but to enter into it and become a part of it. And so when Jesus said, I'm going to give you power to be my martuses, my witnesses, what he was saying is I'm going to give you power to go into culture and to live as I lived, do the things that I did show the same love, the same compassion, even have miraculous power to do what I did, and in the end, it's going to result in, for some of you, in the same thing it resulted in with me, and that is you're going to die for it. And so in the early Roman Empire, as Christians were being thrown to the lions and being crucified and being killed for their faith, as they died, what did they do? The very people that persecuted them, the very people that killed them, the very people that hated them, that took their jobs from them, that separated them from their families, that put them into false trials, sham trials. Those very people were the people they loved unto the death. And there are many, many examples. You can go read ancient documents where people would write this about the Christians. I don't know what's going on, but right to the very end of their life, as we were hating them and mocking them, they were loving us and telling us they forgave us and serving us and giving of their, and the way they loved each other and held on to each other. Wow! They had never seen anything like that. And the impact of that over about three centuries in the Roman Empire finally brought the resistance against the gospel down and the Roman Empire converted to Christ. And it did because they saw people like Jesus showing this is what the life of Jesus is like. 
They love their enemies. They love their neighbors. They love each other. They lay their lives down. They move in God's power. They have something we don't have. How do we get that? Am I talking to anybody? I want some of that. And then he, the Holy Spirit gives us then the power to show that Jesus is risen. Look at this, Acts 4.33. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them. So the power that raised Jesus was now operating through them and people saw Jesus really is alive. He's alive because his followers have the same power that raised him. Wow, what is this? And then we know that Jesus then sent his followers to continue his mission. In Mark chapter 16, and I really want you to see this text, it's kind of a controversial text, but, but I want you to see this, Mark, Mark 16, 15 through 18, and he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. Now, I want you to notice he doesn't say, and these signs will accompany my apostles. And these signs will accompany great evangelists. And these signs will accompany the superstar Christians. And these signs will accompany the elite Christians, the super spirituals, the people who pray all day and all night, all the time. He doesn't say that. He says, and these signs will accompany those who believe. Now, I want to ask, does anybody in this room believe in the resurrected Jesus Christ? So here's, here, I'm, I'm, you're, you know you're getting set up, right? This is a trap. In Star Wars lingo, it's, it's a trap. Yeah, this is a trap. You're being set up. And here's the setup. If you believe in Jesus Christ, God's intention for your life is that the same things that we're going to read on this list that happened 2,000 years ago would also happen through you. Uh-oh. Say, what? And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. What? They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. Uh Uh-oh, this is where it gets weird. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. Now, real quick, just so you know, listen, we don't believe that you're supposed to pick up serpents and say, see? And there are uh, snake handling. Have you ever heard about these weird groups that handle snakes? Okay, that's not what the Scripture is saying. That's called tempting God. Say this with me. That's called being stupid right? No, what, 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 what are we seeing here? As they're going out on their mission, and we see it demonstrated in the book of Acts, right? The apostle Paul gets shipwrecked on the island of Malta. After he gets shipwrecked, the people are kind of checking him out like, wow, this guy's gone through a lot. Who are these, who are these men? And he walks over, and he's picking up some sticks for a fire, and he, he lays a hold of a stick, and a snake, a viper, bites him on the hand, lays hold of his hand. And the scripture says, He's standing there with this viper holding onto his hand. He shakes it off into the fire, and then he goes about his business. And they're all waiting for him to swell up and die. And they're saying among themselves, he must have been a murderer or some, uh, some kind of a bad guy because he's going to finally get what fate has ordained for him. And then they watch him for a while, and it doesn't harm him at all. And then they're like, he's a god. You know, <laughs> that's, the na- that's human nature right there if I ever saw it, right? One minute, you're getting what you deserve. The next minute, he must be a god. And then... Paul preached the gospel to him. They brought all the sick people. He prayed for them. They got healed. 
and the door opened for the gospel. See, that's the way it worked. Okay, so that's what will happen to believers. And then we know that the apostles had supernatural power, right? Uh, Deline mentioned last week that Peter had a shadow ministry. You ever seen that in the Bible? In, in Acts chapter 5, uh, it says that great miracles and signs and wonders were being done through the apostles, and they brought the sick and the demon-possessed out into the streets, and they laid them along the road, and Peter would walk by them, and his shadow would fall on them, and the shadow would heal them. We know the Apostle Paul, they would take handkerchiefs that he prayed over, and then they would take those handkerchiefs out to people who were demon-possessed and sick, and they would lay those handkerchiefs on them, and they would be healed. The problem in our time is that people get on television, and they have to raise money, so they say, send us a check, and we'll send you a handkerchief that I've blessed. We've monetized it, commercialized it, and used it for personal gain and selfishness, and that's not God, right? Neither Peter or Paul were out trying to build their worldwide ministry. They were just going about the business of God, and miracles were happening around them. And it's like, yeah. And what was their goal? Their goal was the mission. The mission was to reach the world with the good news of Jesus Christ, right? Are you still with me? I'm almost done. I'm coming in for a landing. I know I've been circling the airport, but here we go. What I want to finish with is this idea that servants and laypersons also have supernatural power. Look at this. Acts chapter 6, verse 8, speaking of a man named Stephen, it says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, (laughs) was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Stephen was a layperson who was ordained as a deacon. The word deacon simply means a servant. He was a servant par excellence. He was a, a great servant. And because he was a servant and he was in touch with God, God's power came through him. And we know that Stephen moved in the power of the Holy Spirit. But he was a normal guy. The next one is um, a servant and evangelist named Philip in Acts chapter 8, verses 5 through 8. Look what it says here. It says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. See, Philip was an evangelist and a deacon who had great power to proclaim that Jesus was the Messiah. The Holy Spirit empowered him to confirm the good news of Jesus. He wasn't an apostle. He wasn't a superstar. He had great power. He was a deacon. He was a servant. And God used him, which is my concluding idea and concluding thought. You see, a lot of times we count ourselves out. First thing we do is we're so distracted by the time that we live that we won't even entertain the possibility that God could work through us. Some of you have never entertained the idea that you could pray for the sick and they would get healed, that you could share a word from God, that God would actually speak to you, give you something for someone else, and it can be really natural. It doesn't have to be weird. Listen, if you're, if you're like, oh, I don't want to be weird, a weirdo. I don't want to be one of those Christian weirdos. You don't have to be weird. You know, you don't have to go to the grocery store and be like, yeah, oof, oof, it's the glory. Come here, let me throw my jacket at you. You don't have to do any of that, right? You just, the Holy Spirit will lead you. You walk up to people and say, you know, can I pray for you? Right? And, and most people will think, oh, that's nice. He's going to go away and go to his house and either pray a Hail Mary or something like that. And, and then you say, no, can I put my hand on your shoulder and pray for you? 
Uh, sure. I remember years ago when I was a new Christian, we would go out into these canyons in Southern California and be all these partiers out there doing keggers and getting high, and we would just go out there and meet people, hang out with them for a little bit. And I remember one time, and I've shared this story here before, one time there was a guy there, and he, he had a few in him, had been partying pretty hard, and, and I just asked him, can I pray for you? I'd shared the gospel with him, and he's like, yeah, you know, like a lot of people, yeah, I used to go to church and stuff, but I don't know what I believe about all that. Yeah, yeah. You want a beer? Uh, no, no, it's okay. Um, and, I, and I just said, can I pray for you? And he said, yeah. So I put my hand on his shoulder, and I just said, God, I pray that you would come and make yourself known to this man, make yourself real. And listen, I didn't feel much of anything. Okay, I just felt like I was doing what I was supposed to do. And all of a sudden, he's standing there, you know, and he's skeptical, and he just goes, oh, what was that? And I go, what? It felt like electricity went through me. Oh, my gosh, that felt amazing. I have never felt anything like that. What was that? And that's the power of the Holy Spirit. God loves you. He wants to make himself real to you. Whoa, I didn't know that. I didn't know it was real, man. Well, how many of you know after that, he wanted to talk more about Jesus, right? See, God wants to use, and, and again, I was a new Christian. I wasn't a pastor of a church. I was just doing what I, somebody preached a message like this, and I'm like, okay, I'm just dumb enough to believe it. Can I pray for you? You know, and I'm like, maybe God will do something, and he did. What do you know? Because he loves people. He loves people. He wants people to encounter him to taste and see He's good, to know He's real. And so I, that's where I want to end right now. Will you stand to your feet with me? Gone long enough here. How many of you in this room would say, I'm a child of God? How many of you would say that? Just lift your hands if you're a child of God right where you are right now. And I want to read a Scripture text to you. As you're there, I just want you to listen to what the Scripture says. Luke eleven eleven. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. If you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? You know, Jesus has supernatural life for us. If He can get us undistracted for a little bit, and we'll ask Him believing, and then we'll be willing to do what He calls us to do. We'll be willing to go to those in need. And maybe all He wants you to do is give Him a cup of cold water, a bottle of water on a hot day. Maybe all He wants you to do is tell Him there's hope for their life and that God loves them. Maybe He, he just wants you to offer to pray for them. The Holy Spirit will show you. Maybe He just wants you to go to your, your neighbor who's laying down sod in his yard and help him lay down the sod. Maybe He just wants you to pull off the road and help that person broke down. I don't know. He'll show you. But it can be a contact point for God's power. And so can I, I just encourage you to let that stuff come off of you that's limiting you're thinking about what God can do through you. And let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for the people in this room. Lord, ignite our hunger.
Make us thirsty. Make us believe the possibility that you can move through us, that you can work through us, and that you'll confirm your good news with power. Make it real. Make it possible, Lord, in our minds. Give us hunger. Give us faith. Give us even that mustard seed of faith that will believe, yes, God, you can do that through me. Help us not to shrink back. Take us from our distractions, Lord, and give us a hunger to seek you. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room that you would give us all the Holy Spirit, fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. If you're hungry for a fresh touch from the Holy Spirit, would you just ask the Lord right now, Lord, will you give me a fresh touch of your Holy Spirit? Will you fill me anew? Will you touch my life again? Will you give me, fill me with hunger and with thirst and desire for more of you? Lord, I pray that you would do that in this room. Holy Spirit of God, blow across this room and begin to touch lives, I pray. Begin to fill your people. Work among us, Lord. Work among us, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you. May the Lord be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance, his face upon you and give you peace. The Lord be with you. God loves you. Go with God. He goes with you. God bless you all.